I started skipping this week, three days into lockdown because I was too terrified to venture outside. I was running low on food supplies, starving in fact, but the thought of going outside to buy more had me immobilized. I'd been watching videos of the South African police service and the army assaulting people they found walking outside. Some were screamed at, whipped, slept, punched, made to lay down on the ground and roll on the dirt. Others were made to squat as police kicked their rears. Others were shot at with rubber bullets. Some did not survive. We are a week into lockdown and South Africa has five COVID-19 deaths so far. And two unarmed people have also died, shot dead by police in an effort to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Honestly, I am worried, not just for the spread of the virus, but for the criminalization of African communities during lockdown. And I'm terrified of the tanks, the guns, the roadblocks, the uniforms, the ever-present threat of state-sanctioned violence. The violent scenes brought back memories I desperately needed to forget, so I skipped to forget. I skipped to stay present, skipped to keep on moving, even if it was on the same spot. Hello, and welcome back to the second episode of COVID in Africa, a podcast looking at the continental response to the coronavirus. To be clear, while we will endeavor to give you the most up-to-date, accurate information about the coronavirus crisis, our aim is to bring you stories on how this crisis is affecting people's behavior and attitudes on the continent. Our goal is to pursue the systemic and underreported issues underlying the crisis and also to bring some interesting human stories. I'm your host, J.D. Ramalab. In this episode, we'll be looking into life and lockdown and how COVID-19 prevention measures have turned violent in some countries on the continent. And later on in the show, our producer Rasmus Bits goes grocery shopping. What do you think about the virus, coronavirus, what is it about? You see what I look like. <laughs> Are you scared about that? I don't, I don't, I, I, don't I, I, I don't scared, I just, I don't, I, first of all, I don't believe on that, I don't scared, I'm not, oh, yeah? like, I'm, I, it's just normal, if people can die, people must die. But for now, let's go to East Africa in Kenya, where law enforcers are also under fire for sometimes breaking the law in order to enforce it. Thank you.
My name is Carl Odera. I am a freelance journalist based out in Nairobi. Today I've come to Madara Slums, one of the biggest informal settlements in Nairobi. Out here on the street, I can see children playing football, girls playing with ropes. Out here on the street, I can see a man deep frying fish. I can see a woman deep frying chicken feet, hoping that customers will come and buy just before the curfew begins. Children are playing and across the street I can see men drinking a local brew from straws. I'm here to speak to Rachel Mikali, a feminist activist and human rights defender from the informal settlement of Mathare. Uh, my name is Rachel Mikali. I'm a feminist activist and a human rights defender. I convene a social movement called Coalition for Grassroots Human Rights Defenders Kenya. Uh, but our way of communication mostly is through WhatsApp because that's where we are more better in terms of giving each other support and solidarity, which doesn't limit me to be only working within Madare, but also like um, kind of spread um, uh, my work and support to other activists organizing in different areas. If you could tell us more about uh, your work specifically on day-to-day, -day, what do you have to deal with? Uh, there's a lot of uh, violence against women and um, also like in general human rights violation, like um, also kids also being violated and uh, some being neglected and also the misuse of police power and state power. So if there's any issue that happens when it comes to violation, community they know like even our office like you've seen even people are coming to kind of ask for support also during this uh, period of tough tough time that uh, the world is experiencing through corona so you find if there's an issue of violation they just then they can just come knock my place and then we see our best to work collectively because what we usually try is to avoid like them seeing us as saviors as you might defend but creating that spirit of speaking out from a community level. Recently I saw your posts on Facebook where uh, you were working with the community and uh, like-minded people where you were distributing jerry cans which have been made uh, with taps mm. and you know for uh, sanitation and cleanliness and you know with focus on coronavirus uh, epidemic. Could you talk to us about that? When the the news came when the president announced or the Ministry of Health that there's a corona outbreak in Kenya. And for the fact we come from informal settlement, as much as we have good constitution, there's that part where our state, our government does not respect you also human being. So we didn't have water and we are being told to stay home and wash our hands. So the first campaign we started was access to water before even the Jerichans. So we ran the campaign for like three days and then the water came. So when we did that, the water came, we're like, what's next now we have water? It was like, now we need water points where community can be able to access. And after that is when we were like, uh, the narrative here also was like, Corona can't touch anybody, most of us. So we felt it was also our challenge as also citizen responsibility for us who have information also as a movement to give the accurate information. I understand there's a lot of propaganda outside there and a lot of mis misinformed. At least it's, it kind of brought the whole idea of people now getting more interested to know what collectively can we do. So after that is when I reached also to more friends and we were able to get uh, more support through friends. Um, 
now we gave 60 uh, both uh, water points and um, the soap and food stuff so after distributing that we didn't have those are the ones who got 60 were the ones who got like food pack then we had more like a hundred who got only food and soaps and water if you could give us um your understanding and perspective of you know a situation like a pandemic like this uh, vis-a-vis health issues and human rights it makes me sad seeing yesterday being that it was the first day of curfew seeing women and people in Mombasa county being violated by the same police that are supposed to protect them women being beaten up and harassed by the police that's so injustice and I think police and the states need to be held accountable because instead of controlling it it's like they're catalyzing the spread because there wasn't even social distancing like putting people making them sleep violating them there isn't like you're making the now if there's one person who was sick spreading the disease I think um, when you talk about health issue and looking at it as a also like it's a human rights issue I have a comrade she's pregnant and we, we are having that discussion. Like now they have put curfew. What mechanism have they put if you're pregnant and you're about to deliver? The process of supporting you to ensure like you deliver in a safe uh, way that uh, it doesn't affect the life of the child and your, and your life. And so far they haven't put anything. So you can imagine how many women we might lose during this process that they are supposed to access um, health facility or hospital at night because like here in Malari we have only one pu- public hospital and it does not operate at night and now you're having a curfew so I think here they didn't look at it in a human rights way as the state when they were doing it uh, but also I wanted to look also in terms of the safety of also human rights defenders because if you've been holding also government accountable and the state ag- accountable this is also like the time you never know now they can take advantage of the situation and violate you or um, criminalize you because they know everybody's in their homes so it's easy for for us to be targeted so i think also it's important to be assured even our security that wherever we are in our homes we're going to be protected that was journalist carl odera speaking to human rights defender rachel muikali The abuse of power and potential human rights violations in the fight against the spread of COVID-19 has led Civicus, a global alliance of civil society organization, to release a public statement calling on governments to, and I quote, refrain from using responses to COVID-19 as a pretext to impose restrictions on civil society target human rights defenders and to curb online freedoms. If you're based in South Africa and want to report police misconduct or abuse of power, you can call the police watchdog body or the police investigative directorate on 012-399-0000. I repeat, 012-399-0000. Zero zero. We're in a lockdown, but we all eventually have to leave our homes at some point um, for food or medicine or 
because we have essential work. But most of us who are under lockdown don't go far because as Rasmus Bits has realized, our worlds have gotten smaller. <coughs> if you heard the previous episode, <coughs> you'll know that I'm actually negative. And this is allergies now flaring up, but people don't say bless you anymore. They run away when you hear sneezing. It seems strange, but I actually didn't mind my allergies coming back. After two weeks in isolation, I was beginning to miss the outside world. And also, it felt like my apartment was shrinking. To be perfectly honest, I'd been looking for a reason to go out. I think we were running out of salt, I'd say to my wife, who's adamant that we adhere strictly to the rules of the lockdown. No, she said, and pointed to an almost full container. But finally, this morning, I'd run out of medicine, and we were running low on food. I mounted my microphone on a pole, put on a mask, and ventured out into the world. But I hadn't been in the outside world for long, before I could see and also hear that it was nothing like it had been only a few days ago. And I've never in my life seen my own street this empty before. The stunning emptiness of the street meant that the birds were louder than ever before. The only people out were security guards and the people for whom the street is their home. Hey guys, how are you? Can I ask you a couple of questions? You ask anything. Anything. Let me yes. <laughs> this is Charles. Can I ask you well, how are you experiencing this lockdown so far? Uh, no alcohol, no cigarette, uh, no work. We will see what somebody fails, you see. You know locally, when you talk, somebody's sick. If you don't fall, ah, there's nothing wrong with that guy. That guy is still walking up and down, he's having some fun, until you fall. You and, see? You don't, and you haven't seen anybody fall yet? Not yet, <laughs> not yet. Many of the homeless had left, partly because this normally bustling part of town was empty. No cars to guard, no bags to carry, no coins, no leftovers. The hustle had gotten harder. Where, where have they gone? Uh, others gone home. Others are still around. Uh, you will meet others still going up and down, still looking for something, maybe something with cigarette and money, you know, you know, yeah, locally. But it's got to be hard to find when there's no one else around. Yes, it's, uh, because we are locked down. And with normality, the things we used to talk about had also disappeared. There's only one topic. What do you think about the virus, the coronavirus? What is it about? You see what I look like? <laughs> Are you scared about it? I, mean, I don't. I don't. I, I, not I, I, I don't scared. I just. I don't. I, first of all, I don't believe on that. I don't scared. I'm not. Oh yeah. Like I'm. I, it's just normal. If people can die, people must die. For many days now, I've been scrolling the timelines, keeping up with the news. But it was clearer than ever that social media doesn't really connect us across all our other divides. My work normally requires me to move around and meet all kinds of people. Now movement had become risky behavior. In spite of constantly checking the news, I had no real sense of how the rest of the population was doing. I felt more disconnected than ever. In front of the shopping center, people were waiting in a long line to get in. 
all kinds of people with all kinds of masks. So we're all in this low density line, maybe about 100 meters from the entrance of the shopping mall. But everyone is very quiet. And if any conversation was had at all, the topic was the same. Do you know why we're standing all in line here outside? Because of the corona. Uh, yeah. Uh, and what is the corona to you? Um, bad disease kills people. You can find a cure for the thing yet. As far as I know, they didn't find a cure yet. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. It feels very strange. Very, very strange, yes. Because we're all on lockdown. It's like quiet, much different now. Yes. Are you very uh, concerned about the virus? Or not? Yes, I am. Yeah. Because I also got two kids. Him and his brother? Yes, him and his little brother, yes. Inside the shop, it wasn't the birds, but the buzzing fridges and beeping tellers that felt louder. In this part of town, the only thing missing on the shelf was flour and yeast. Did this mean that the supply lines were intact, that people weren't stockpiling, that there was still more than enough food? Any random guy on Twitter will know as much about it as I do. People were quietly trying to avoid each other. The usual shopping banter was the soundtrack of another South Africa, a previous version that certainly wasn't perfect, but at least had bad jokes in many languages. A few weeks ago, we saw how intimately connected the world had become when a tiny virus took over, one country and one neighborhood at a time. Now, the same virus had made us so isolated that we couldn't even look each other in the eyes. I'd been looking forward to getting out of the house, to see my neighborhood from somewhere other than the fourth floor, to touch the physical world. But what I hadn't understood was that my neighborhood was no longer there. It was never the sidewalk or the buildings, it was the people. On my way home, I had to make one more stop. So I'm gonna head down this street here. I know somebody that lives here. His name is... Uh, Leicester, also known as Skyline. Leicester is something of a local legend. He's been building furniture out of old pallets and selling them on the sidewalk here for years. But he was adamant when I spoke to him before the lockdown that there would be enough work for him to do. And I thought that he would not get much, if any, business. And when I got to his usual spot, he was sleeping in a little shelter made out of pallets. Skyline, how are you? I don't want to wake you up, eh? No, 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 it's okay. Yeah. How's, it, um, how's it been here? It's very quiet, eh? Yes, it's very quiet, yeah. yeah. And do you like the quiet otherwise? Or? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like it. I do like it, but I must now the... the revue. Yeah. <laughs> I must now the revue because my business is going slowly now. As for anybody who lives under the circumstances he does, life is sometimes incredibly rough for Lester. His tools or his furniture get stolen when he sleeps. The police or government officials confiscate all his belongings. I've seen it happen again and again. He gets in trouble with the law or get mixed up in conflicts that are really hard to understand if you don't understand the shifting power relations of the street. But somehow Skyline always bounces back. And sure enough... So far, he'd been okay. I just sold a, a Benz for 100 bucks and then I bought me some porridge. 
So, um, you remember a couple of days ago we were talking and I said you wouldn't be able to sell anything. Yeah. And you said you would be able to sell stuff. Yes, and I did sell, and I did sell my stuff. He now stays with another guy named Jonathan after having to move from around the corner. Jonathan is a parking guard who's been around for many years as well. For ideas I'm here in the street. Yeah, I park for ideas cars here. Because normally he was over there mm. in Hope Street. So he's actually the new guy here. Yeah, he's the new guy, yeah. <laughs> mm. How can I be the new guy? <laughs> he's really, yeah. I can't be the new yeah, guy. He's my border. All of them in town, they get me here, he's, sir. He's How my border. <laughs> Where was he when we was making food here? He wasn't even my here. My border, he, he must pay me every order. month. Man, yeah. name like Jonathan. I'm 57, sir. Now, how can he beat me? I'm selling since 13 years old in town. Where was he that time? When I was sleeping by the dentist and we're making food here under the tree. Then we make fire. You were in town also. He wasn't in town. He wasn't even born yet. The only thing I know. Closest thing to normality, the banter and the talk. I'd found that with Jonathan and Lester, whose circumstances at the best of times are precarious. I'd wanted to go out because I missed rubbing up against the world. But the world I used to rub up against had disappeared. For now, I needed no more excuses to go outside. My wife, on the other hand, was beginning to feel the cabin fever. I realized this when we were having dinner and she came up with a suggestion. We should go donate blood, she said. It's an essential service. A handful of African countries are now in lockdown, including Rwanda, Botswana, South Africa and Malawi. And more than 6,000 COVID-19 cases have been reported in Africa so far. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, where COVID-19 cases were at first confined to the capital, Kinshasa, have now been found in the easternmost regions of the country that were until recently under the grip of the Ebola outbreak. In South Africa, all provinces have now reported cases. The outbreaks in Burkina Faso, Cameroon and Senegal are also widespread. As infections continue to increase, it's important for you to remember that there is something you can do about it. You do have some control. It's in your hands. Since the transmission of COVID-19 is through sustained physical contact with an infected person, from your hands and by touching your face, you can prevent it by making sure that your hands are clean at all times and that you don't touch your face, especially when outside in the public. Next week, we'll explore all the fake news surrounding the spread of the coronavirus and try to get to the truth. But in the meantime, if you like what we do, please don't hesitate to show us some love. Share this episode with your friends or go to our website to learn what else you can do. And if you have a story about corona you'd like us to feature in this series, Send us an email to info at soundafrica.org and we'll get in touch with you. That's all from us at COVID in Africa this week, a podcast brought to you by Sound Africa. 
reporting and editing by Rasmus Bitz, story editor Kelly Eve Gottman, with contributions from journalists Carl Odera in Nairobi, Kenya. I'm JD Ramalapa. Merci, obrigado, shukran, asante sana, paya danki, giabona. Thank you for listening and stay safe and healthy.